Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from New York City in Manhattan, coming to you from Langham Place, the hotel right here on Fifth Avenue. And someone who knows a little bit about that is my next guest. He's the New York Times bestselling author of nine books, and one in particular uh, about, you know, about jazz and the jazz age in Manhattan. And uh, of course, the name of that book was Supreme City, How Jazz Age Manhattan Gave Birth to modern America. Donald Miller, welcome to the show. Thank you, Peter. Good to be here. Yeah, so, you know, I'm a New Yorker, born and raised. Mm-hmm. I think I think I know a lot. And, of course, I'm reminded every day of how little I know because, <laughs> because everywhere I walk, there are probably another 10 or 15 stories per block that would, if I knew them, explain to me why I was even on that block, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when we talk about where this hotel is located on 37th and 5th, I mean, there's there's so much history right here. There is. There is. I mean, the area above that, you know, if you go above 37th Street, uh, in 1920, there wasn't a single skyscraper in that area. And uh, all the skyscrapers were located down the Wall Street area. And uh, they built about three-quarters of New York's present-day skyscrapers in a 10-year period between 1919 and 1929. It was incredible. Starting down in lower Manhattan, the Empire State Building, all the way up to um, 
you know, Rock Center and, um, you, you know, to the Trump Tower, et cetera. You know, it, it was just to say, you know, it, it, the Trump Tower, of course, was built later, but this was, there was this tremendous explosion of building in New York. And all of Fifth Avenue, from right where you are, all the way up to the park, was called Vanderbilt Alley. That was Vanderbilt Country. That family, which owns the New York Central Railroad, as you know, uh, took over from the Astros as a dominant social and economic power in the city. And um, every single block along the avenue was dedicated entirely to a Vanderbilt chateau, an urban chateau, and included some of the largest buildings in the world. If you go up to where, um, uh, you know, the plaza is right there, you know, you you know, you have an interesting series of buildings that were, that were all Vanderbilt mansions. And all these mansions were torn down in about three years in the mid-1920s. And they're replaced by uh, Saks Fifth Avenue and a whole series of emporiums all the way up the avenue. Uh, so it's a, it was a dramatic, radical trend. And that's when New York, you know, that's when I recognize historically, you know, us, you know, as Americans and uh, the kind of people that people, you know, the great Gatsby, the kind of people that walked the streets of New York in 1927. Um, Bergdorf Goodman was built uh, uh, by a guy named Edward Goodman um, on the Alice Vanderbilt Mansion in 1557. That was the largest urban residence in the world, torn down in 1927. It's right across from the Plaza Hotel. And that completed the demolition. Um, so Harriman's, everyone else, Huntington's, they're all off the street. And the street becomes complete, completely what it is today, you know, the most expensive right. street in the world. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and there's there's little gems along the street, um, like, that people don't go into, like the Fred French building. That's on 45th. Oh, I know, oh, I know that building. Yeah. That, fa- that facade is amazing. That All the metal. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, yeah. It's great, Art Deco. 38 stories, not too overwhelming, and take a look in the lobby of that place. Yeah, yeah when you walk in the lobby, you got to look up. Yeah, it's spectacular. Don DeLillo, the novelist, has a scene in there where a mother and a daughter go in, and, and, and the daughter says, who the hell was Fred French? And and that's the story. Nobody knows who Fred French was. He built a, a whole cluster of, of skyscrapers in New York, and he built a whole little city in the city called Tudor City. You've been over there. Not only, have I, not only have I been over there, I spent the first six months of my life, I'm told, <laughs> in Tudor City. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and not a lot. It's it's, no, it's over by the United Nations. If you, yeah. It's over. By, it's over by where the United Nations is. If people need to know. Exactly, and it, it had a golf course. You know, um, it, it was designed at a time when everyone's building high penthouses on on, on park. It was designed for the rising middle class. And right, within, and they still have, and they still have a small park there. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas We're talking to Donald Miller, uh, author of Supreme City, How Jazz Age Manhattan Gave Birth to Modern America. But I said in this introduction, Donald, we're on Fifth Avenue, so let's stay on Fifth for a second. Sure. How has it changed in the last just 10 to 15 years? Well, it's just 
just gotten more and more upscale. Um, you know, New York went through some really tough times in the 70s, you know, and um, and a lot of people were giving up on it, at least at the federal level, and uh, in terms of supporting uh, supporting the city. And um, the place has been, just been, along with Times Square, has just been dramatically cleaned up, and uh, it, it's safer, it's more expensive. And I like it because it's, it's still a walking street. It's a wide avenue, but you walk, you know, through the history of New York, you know, St. Pat's Cathedral going all the way back to pre-Civil War when nobody was living up there but a bunch of Irish settlers around Fifth Avenue and a couple of people around the, around the church and a couple of people around the park. Um, this is the, the New York of Edith Wharton in the Age of Innocence and things like that. And now that's all been transformed. Um, Trump Tower, the Apple Store, things like that. That's what's starting to draw people in. Um, and sure, but, people still go to the plaza, you know, oh, yeah. still go to the plaza hotel. Um, we said before, Bergdorf Goodman's still, you know, a hot spot, you know, for high fashion. Hey, listen, uh, I still, Donald, I still go to the plaza looking for Eloise. <laughs> yeah, it's a great place to have lunch and see people and meet people, things like that. I mean, it, 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 it's terrific. And a lot of great, you know, on Fifth, there, there were a lot of great, uh, you know, up from the, the bottom stories. Uh, Elizabeth Arden and Helena Rubinstein, the cosmetic queens, you know. Um, featured in a, in a big play that's still on Broadway. Um, they had their salons right there, um, you know, in, uh, up around 57th, and uh, they never spoke to one another, um, you know, over their 50-year rivalry, but uh, they transformed the, the cosmetic and fashion industry. They were the two richest women in the world in, in, the, in the mercantile business when they when they passed away. I mean, they were right there on, on the avenue, so, um, and, you know, one came from Krakow, you know. Her father was a, you know, a, a plumber and an oil dealer. The other was, a, you know, Elizabeth Arden was a farm girl from Canada, and and that's been the story of New York. You know, I mean, you know, it's uh, Jack Dempsey said it once. You know, I mean, you, you can make it in New York, but New York has to want you, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and they wanted Babe Ruth, of course. They wanted, uh, um, and. and you know, with the movies going on, they 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 wanted you know high fashion was in, makeup was in because you had to um, highlight the, the eyes of the movie stars or the close-ups and things like this. So the makeup industry becomes enormous. More Americans are buying makeup than uh, than are paying for electricity in 1928. It was, it was really incredible. Right. Yeah, it, it you know just great stories like that. I mean, Saks was opened in 1923 by Adam Gimbel. And an immediate, immediate sensation, and um, the, um, and you know, I mean, there's just so much variety on that street. You know, you just go on and on from the Empire State. But you know, I'm a book guy. I like books and buildings. You know, and I'd recommend to somebody if they came to New York, go to New York Public Library. It's spectacular. You know, it's it's oh Fifth Avenue, book. Fifth Avenue and Forty Second Street. Walk this in, is, yeah. You know, you walk in there between the two lions, and and try to go into the reading room. Yeah. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, that's it. It is spectacular. A lot. Thousands of great books have been written in that library. Now, the library contains, you know, 53 million editions. Okay, 53 million books. And, um, and that includes, of course, the branch libraries. But all the great authors that worked in there and did their books in there, you know, like Mailer and people like that, um, John Updike when he was in New York. People, David McCullough writes there when he's in New York. I mean, 
it, it's just a spectacular building, and, and the steps are gathering places, you know, as well. So it's it's a, it's a terrific spot, you know. And for those people who need to be connected, let's hear from the New York Public Library. They got Wi-Fi. They do, they do, and uh, you know it's it, it's a great place to hang out, and there's good luncheon places around it. Bryant Park behind it is a real gem. Sure. I mean, that was drug, you know, um, I mean, Needle Needle Park before, and they've really cleaned the place up, and now they have some of the bigger fashion shows in the city, right there in Bryant, you know, and. I like the buildings around Bryant Square. And, you, uh, you know, let, let me run this by you, Donald. Uh, would it be safe to say that Fifth Avenue, the word think comes to mind? As you walk down Fifth Avenue, think of what you'd like to be when you grow up. Yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. And you go in, and then you go into places like the New York Public Library main branch on 42nd and 5th, and you just go in there to think. If you are continuing on to another southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. Welcome to the show. The creator and host of Travel Therapy, and don't we need it? Well, exactly. I think it's a good segue. Karen Taylor, how are you? <laughs> Doing well, Actually, thanks. it's Travel Therapy TV. That's right. And, you know, as you were saying, Peter, our hearts go out. All of us that have traveled to everyone, and, and as we continue to cover travel news, I mean, I was watching personally, and so many people I know impacted, and exactly what you said, the questions need to be asked. I think there's that guttural reaction because travel therapy is about inspiring, empowering people to travel, and a lot of these places in the Caribbean and Florida are vacation destinations, and we all have these memories, and so it's been hard emotionally for the people and so many people want to help and i love that you're putting that on your website because people need to know where to go and what they can do right now and also what they shouldn't do right now it's both uh the real problem here is economic uh in the long term because it's one thing to say you know oh well we you know get 20 percent of our income from tourism these islands get almost all their income from tourism that is their economy it's a travel and tourism economy you get rid of the infrastructure you get rid of airlift, you get rid of opportunities for people to even get there to help rebuild, you're talking two to three years down the road before they can even begin to get back on their feet. Absolutely. So our thoughts and prayers go out to all of them as we continue to keep it in the news as well. So, you know, one of the things that, you know, people are looking for now, uh, especially now, is, a, you know, there's sort of, sort of well, uh, for lack of a better term, safe haven travel. Uh, they're looking for places where they're not going to get beaten up by weather. They're not going to get beaten up by terrorists. They're not going to get beaten up by political um, statements. Um, and more and more places are getting ruled out. A few are actually getting ruled in. One that I know is on your list, uh, which is one of my favorites, of course, is Halifax and northeastern Canada. Absolutely. I mean, Canada has always been such a special place I think the Canadians they have a special heart I grew up on the west coast so going to Vancouver and Alberta but now living on the east coast Atlantic Canada I've been focusing a lot on that and then you add in our dollar the strength of our dollar it's so phenomenal right now and you know coming out of you know we're in September I know you know when this is airing and coming out of 9-11 and being here in New York, the Broadway musical Come From Away was one of my I have amazing, to say, right? I ended up going there. First of all, I was in Gander. I covered that story. So I, I, we've done it for CBS. It's such an amazing, uplifting story about how people come together. For those people who don't know what I'm talking about, 
This is on 9-11 where so many planes got diverted and put on the ground immediately at an airport that might have had two flights a day and ended up having something like 34 wide-body jets, more than the people who lived in the town were on those planes, and everybody opened their homes and the hospitals and the schools and the gyms, and the most amazing thing happened. Marriages. <laughs> That's kids, right. Kids. Relationships. Somebody from British Airways met somebody from KLM. Next thing you know, they're an item. It's amazing. They were there for five days. And this is a play on Broadway that when you go, by the way, there are no name stars on this play. There, there's no song, there's no you know, musical score that you come out singing. And no intermission on and purpose. No, and no intermission. And yet at the end of this, of this performance, everybody, I'm not exaggerating, is on their feet screaming and clapping. You know, when you first hear about it saying you're having a Broadway play about 9-11, you think, oh, you know, especially for New Yorkers, it'd be a tough sell. Yeah. It is the most inspiring, the most empowering and when I was invited, I'd been to Newfoundland and Labrador um, several times, but when I was invited to come back, I had not been to Gander. And so I went to central Newfoundland and the value there of not just the economic value, but the kindness of the people. If you're in a place where you need to have your hope restored, someone reach out and you know, give you a hug. These are some of the most authentic people I've ever met. And then you have, of course, the great seafood, the whale watching. I was on Iceberg Alley, which is sure. right there near Gander. And so I think central Newfoundland is somewhere I'm telling people to go right now. I mean, yes, it's getting a little chilly coming up, but just bundle up and it's truly spectacular. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go My next guest I've known for a long time, we go back to our days when I was sampling his food when he wasn't looking at the Today Show <laughs> when, <laughs> when you were doing cooking segments, but he opened the restaurant here when this hotel first opened. I did indeed. Called I Fiori. I Fiori, In the Flowers. In the Flowers. Michael White, how are you? Welcome. But you also have another great restaurant here in Manhattan, which I love because I'm a pescatarian. So I didn't know that. Yes. So Marea is the place to go. Yes. Thank you very much. It's uh, the restaurant that uh, opened in 2009. It's a in a restaurant of two Michelin stars and uh, the uh, the patrimony of, uh, of the Alta Maria group. And I'm not a big drinker, but friends of mine who go to your restaurant on 50, uh, 59th uh -huh. tell me that they make unbelievably killer drinks. I just... Oh, that's great. So, uh, listen, mean, well, as you know, cocktails uh, and the cocktail programs at all restaurants and hotels yeah. are so important right now. But that's wonderful to hear. We really do uh, take it serious. When you open the restaurant here at Langham, it wasn't the Langham then. It was not the Langham. It was actually the Satai Hotel. Exactly. Um, but how do you come up with a concept, first of all? And then second of all, how do you experiment? Because you only get like one chance to be wrong. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is true. You know, when we opened the restaurant, uh, obviously being uh, very focused in Italian food here in New York at Marea and the other restaurants like Osteria Marini and such uh, in Soho, uh, we wanted to give an Italian um, you know, flair to the restaurant, but that the same time, embarking in on the south of France as well, uh, there's so many European travelers that are here at the Langham Hotel and in the residence uh, at, the, at, the, at that time, the Satai, uh, that it was actually a natural uh, to do that type of food. And, and uh, I'm very known for pastas and in the group and at Marea. And so having um, the ability to do a bit of Italian as well gives you to have a, the ability to have a three compartment type menu with appetizers, and uh, middle courses being the pastas and risottos, and then having fish and, and meat entrees. 
Uh, when it's in very much in the French mode, you have kind of uh, two sides to the menu, or one side uh, being the ap appetizers and then going on to the entrees. You know, when uh, we just did a piece on, on CBS with, with Danny Meyer mm -hmm. uh, about the psychology of, of restaurants, the colors that you choose, menu placement, mm -hmm. items lighting. on the menu, lighting, music, tempo. We want everybody to look good. <laughs> it, lighting is very important, very important. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously stark lighting doesn't, uh, is not uh, very becoming on people. So right. obviously very warm lighting uh, and comfort. People uh, have the choice now with all of the uh, to-go, the delivery, all the different types of things that are going on now. You're in with, competition with that. With competition. You bet. Uber Eats. I have a program called uh, Chef Bianco uh, Pasta at, at, at Home. And what we do is we do pastas from the restaurants and we do Uber uh, them right to your house. So it's really uh, something that we have to focus on with comfort and such and service because people can be at home and watching Netflix and in their hotel room and not even leaving. So but would it be safe to say that, given the competition, people are not just coming to your restaurant either here or anywhere else for the food as much as they're also coming for the experience? The experience. Experience here. Uh, people, are there, there are 26,000-plus restaurants in, in the five boroughs. Um, you have to give an experience. It's just I mean, obviously, the chef would like to think it's just about him or her um, behind the stove and, and obviously the staff in the front. But it's more uh, more now with the age of social media and all the things that are happening with the restaurant scene. Um, it, it's all encompassing. It's not just the food. Now, I, I love to ask this question, so I'm not going to let you off the hook. Here it is. When you designed the restaurant initially, the mm -hmm. one here, was there an item on the menu that you thought, this is going to kill. People are going to love this. They can't get enough of it. And it huh. tanks. Well, we and then I'll give you the converse, which is an item you said, okay, I'll put it on. Who's ever going to order this? And everybody wanted it. Sure. We, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we have love-hate relationships with sea urchin. People, uh, either you like it or you don't like it. Uh, sea urchin, this very almost maybe metallic type flavor that are, is very reminiscent for uh, items with sushi and rolls and that type of thing. Uh, but in Italy, we cook it with pasta, so that really sweetens it up. But I was sure that it wasn't going to be a peak seller, and so it's still on the menu today. So pasta, spaghetti with sea urchin and crab, uh, which was, was something that it's I didn't been, think was going to sell. It's been on the menu sell. since day one. Since day one, and it's still on the menu, and I'll bring a bowl up to you right now, actually. And, boy, and then what got 86? 86, uh, boy, the list is long, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, for every 10 or 15 that we do, there's only one that sticks. But uh, we've done things with scallop and bone marrow and caviar that we think are going to be really, uh, you know, maybe something that uh, looks items, and chefs are always looking to see what they can put on a dish. But uh, the older you get, uh, you look to see what you can take out of a dish. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. I can't tell you how many times I want to get to talk to chefs to say, can you just keep it simple? Mm. I tell you, uh, the sim simple, uh, the hallmark of Italian cooking is si its simplicity. And, uh, you know, chefs obviously uh, want to, to give an experience and, and, and to, to put that flash on the plate. And a lot of times, uh, as you say, they just drowned out with certain sauces and, and too much garnish and, and that type of thing. So I really think the older that one gets, not with age, but time in the kitchen and knowing what the guest wants to have uh, is, is really paramount. Because the, I see the cooking that I'm doing now compared to what I was doing back in the day when we would be on the Today Show. And I see what I'm doing now. And it's so much more uh, simple in its, its state. And it's all about the product. Well... I suppose, and please tell me if I'm wrong, the more simple it is, uh, the more well thought out it is, 
it's also the more genuine. And more genuine, and also more difficult to cook. Uh, one of the most simple uh, things. Because you can always cover stuff with sauce. You got it. I mean, uh, risotto with butter and parmigiano, for example, you know, there's very few ingredients. But if you put too much parmigiano in, it's just, you know, too cloyingly, you know, uh, protein-laden, you know, salty. Uh, if you put too much butter, it's like soup. You know, uh, people don't understand that the more ingredients that you put in uh, is not always a good thing. It's something that just covers yeah. uh, to, to a certain extent. I mean, there's a dish that I love to have in Italy but they have to do it right. It's tagliolini grattanata. Oh, that is, uh, you know, with, with ha- Julian I do, I, ham I, I do you're talking without, about? No, I do it without the ham. I do it without the ham. Okay. But then they torture it on the top. Yes, exactly. It's grattanata on the top. Yeah. But you have to have that crust, and it has to, if it, yeah. you can burn it. Those are difficult dishes to do, though. And yet, the ingredient, it's all very you, simple. But that's from Venice. And that's it is right. from Venice. You exactly, know. Yes, from Judecca, or, yeah. or, well, from Harry's Bar. Harry's well, Bar, exactly. exactly. See, you know, okay. I always go in there and do it. Oh. It's like one of the most simple dishes, one of the most expensive dishes oh. that they charge you. Oh, they kill you for it, you but I have to have it. Yeah. That's right. Well, they, you don't want any riffraff at Harry's, do you? <laughs> they, it's the old Groucho Marx line. That's Why would I join a club that would have me as a member, but they, they let me in? I don't know how that happened. You got it. What's been your biggest challenge? Because this restaurant here is how many years old now? It is, uh, wow, going, you have to help me do the math real quick. I mean, we're going um, six six years this year. Right. Uh, the restaurant is, is uh, there's challenges. Restaurants are like children, but children grow up. Restaurants don't grow up. You have to keep, um, you know, nourishing them and working uh, and, and staff. That's our biggest challenge, getting people that are in the hospitality business. You, you know, each and every one of us that's in the restaurant business has to have that hospitality gene. You're, you know, people have a choice, as I said before, and and, and uh, you have to have uh, the want and desire to feel, make somebody feel special because restaurants, there are so many. And if you don't treat people, uh, that's really my idea of luxury is treating people as if they're the only guest in the restaurant. Well, you know, you mentioned the Italian model. When I go to a restaurant in Italy, there's a 95% chance that the person who serves me, who's the waiter, loves his or her job. Right. And it's his profession. That's exactly right. right? We have so many people that are in this industry that they are doing something else. Well, there's um, a great poster in Los Angeles. And it was one of those those electronic posters, a billboard on Sunset Strip that would flip. And it said, oh, you're an actor? Question mark. And it would flip and say, which restaurant? <laughs> exactly. This is, a, this is very true. We have so many people that are in our restaurant business that are uh, uh, of, of, of the acting uh, world as well as uh, dancing and, and you name it. But uh, at the same time, people really uh, that... that uh, enjoy this work once you get kind of addicted to it and, and you get in the rhythm of it uh, we have a lot of people that are were actors once and and now uh, chefs and uh, you know, a lot of people that change their profession to to be in this but you have to really want to be it in this business now so. we're living in an era right now which for you must be a very thankful moment because you can source just about anything now. You really can. You, uh, I just actually recently turned, uh, returned from Shanghai and did a dinner and uh, uh, actually we're opening uh, Marea in Shanghai next year. And uh, we did uh, some of the classics, whether it be the lobster and burrata. So uh, getting you know fresh made burrata from, in Shanghai. In Shanghai, not not, a, not an issue. Uh, the lobsters, anything you need. Um, there's there's everything uh, there to do with. And yet you will still go to places where. They don't want to spend the money to bring in the rest, the good stuff. And, you know, you get stuck with imitation crab. This is true. But I tell you, with the age um, of, of diners and the young people going to restaurants. They know what they want now. They know what they want. You can no longer fool people. Uh, and that's what the beauty is here at iFiori, having a, a restaurant of quality and, and keeping the guests inside the hotel and allowing them to experience it, not just 
as a hotel, but as a, as a complete um, enclave where you can eat uh, and go back to your room and, and, and have this give and take uh, where a lot of restaurants or pardon me, you had to go outside of a hotel to have a restaurant experience. So right. this is something that's very important. Well, for as long as I can remember, up until about 15 years ago, a hotel restaurant was an afterthought. That's right. It was basically where you went when you couldn't go anywhere else. Right. And 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 we've really uh, have delved into the fact of, of changing that and, and making the guest um, think of this restaurant. And it's a really great partnership with Langham because when people think of a restaurant, you know, they're, you're going in, they're showing their restaurant, uh, they're showing their property off as, as much as I'm showing my restaurant off. Uh, and that's really the, the partnership that makes it so great. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. She's the senior interior designer for a company called Roche Bobois, and her name is Aran Avisis. Avisis. Yeah. <laughs> and you designed the, the, the special suites here at the Langham. Yes, um, we did three suites actually here, um, and the last one is the presidential suite for the Langham Hotel. It's, uh, it's an honor, a pleasure, a thrill, and a challenge that I've had to have um, all throughout. And um, But you know, whenever you're working with a, with a hotel, you're dealing with owners. Who have one vision, you have another. Yes. You, and you know, somewhere in the middle, hopefully, you meet. But the point is, there are certain non-negotiables in a room. Of always. Right. For always. me, it's light. Yes. Right. I hate designers that give me mood lighting with, uh, because you get oh, trapped. Then you did get, you go into this one? I'm gonna go in. Don't worry. Okay. Maybe. Because I want to have the option of either having it really bright or really dim, not right. just the 30 watt bulb there saying mood lighting. It puts me in a bad mood. Okay. Yeah. So that's one, right? <laughs> now, one that you probably can't control is water pressure in the shower because the plumbing is, maybe you did, did you? We did not control, yeah. but um, from what I hear, I have not taken a shower here yet, <laughs> but from what I hear, it's pretty good. And I know that New York City in general has a hard time with showers, but Langham, Langham has got it. They've got they got it. you okay. covered on that so, one. Okay, so now here comes the part. And I appeal to you, especially as a woman, because yes. the complaints that I get about hotel design are always <laughs> from women. Okay. There's either not enough space in the bathroom for all the stuff you carry with you, mm -hmm. or there's not enough light in there for your makeup. Okay, well, those two are checked. And so these two, these three rooms that we did um, for the hotel are essentially, the way that I've designed the rooms are based out of the location that they're in. And when you walk into the room, you're facing directly south onto the Empire State Building, which just draws you in. It's absolutely stunning. You're, you're sort of right there and you can touch it. And the light really comes from the east side where you have views and windows and the bathroom set up over there and turns around south and ends on the west side where you have another room, another ensuite bathroom, and you get a pure amount of sunlight throughout the day, whether it's sunny or gray outside. It's just so beautiful. And beyond that, we added, of course, extra lighting with dimmer. See, okay, so options. you're good. I'll take it. So you're yeah. good. Um, they've upgraded even with Lutron lighting, so you're even more covered <laughs> in that sense. But you know what? There's something else when you speak about lighting, because it's so important. Yeah. Now, call me crazy. I have friends of mine who, when they go into a hotel room, they shut every curtain. They want blackout curtains and I said 
what are you, crazy? For me, every housekeeper has been trained to shut the curtains. Every housekeeper, when they do the makeup for the room that night, they come in, they close it, but they make it dark. I could, the first thing I do is I go in there and I open, and open everything, everything yeah. because I just want, when that sun comes up, it. I want to be there. Yeah. yeah, you want to see it. I agree. I'm like that too. Yeah. I think it's about that experience. I mean, maybe you're just an early bird as well and you like to wake up with the sun. Maybe you're, maybe that's, that's who you are, but we oh, have no, I'm, options I'm, look, for I'm not everybody. an early bird. I just like light. <laughs> I like light. light. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like I'm a prisoner when they close those drapes. I mean, when you have a view like Langham does, to all the listeners, I think you guys should open and turn on uh, the lights and, and look at the view. All right. So stunning. what was your biggest challenge in designing these rooms? Biggest challenge in designing these rooms, I would say, is for each one of them to be uniquely different um, because we're working with the same layout. There isn't much room to to change or to play with, but at the same time, it was more about the mood to create when you're walking into it. Keeping in mind that our focus is still the view, um, I really wanted to create an environment where the guests who are arriving here, who are staying, whether it's for an overnight or a long weekend or a month stay, have the flexibility to just feel at home. Um, and by the way, you know, you mentioned so the view well. of the Empire State Building. Let's put this yeah. in some perspective. We're three blocks away. Yes. So you're really you getting a view it. of the Empire State you Building. You can touch it. <laughs> you're uh, right there. Yeah. I mean, you, you really are. You can't. You miss really it. are right there. And then the the perspective that you have down all the way to Flatiron District, and it's just New York City is absolutely beautiful. You see how vibrant it is. You can look out and and just figure out what you want to wear that day, just because you have everybody strutting the runways of the streets, and <laughs> and you're able to really. That was a huge inspiration to me as well. This is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Let your motor run and head out on I'm looking forward to talking to my next guest because if I came in his store, I would be doing damage. I would, uh, they'd, I'd never get out because something tells me his favorite word that starts with B is butter. I just, I have this feeling. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, his name is Eric Kaiser, and he the, the name of his operation, he has so many of them, is, is he's, he's an artisanal boulangerie founder of Eric Kaiser. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is. And, and, and uh, you've got how many operations now? How many stores? We have now, uh, we are in 26 countries, and we have 200 shops. Every shops, we every day starting to make the same process. It means we are artisanal, how you say. Yes. It means that we mixing and baking in every shop so it takes time to teach to the people we have french chef in every country but every shop has its own operation meaning you're not there's no trucks delivering to you are baking it on the premises yes this is the most difficult so if you go in our bakery you can see the bakers they work in front of the customer so it's beautiful but we need to teach to these people, these people how they can do yeah, fantastic bread. Yeah, but you see, bread. you have a method to your madness because it's not just the bakers working in front of the customers. It's the smell. You smell the bread. We smell the bread all the time. You know, if you want to recognize a good bread, you need to see its presentation. We say that the bread needs to be crispy. So all the time is similar to the bird. And after, you need to check inside how beautiful is the bread. You need to smell. You need to put your, the bread in front of your nose and pushing. Why are you so thin? I don't know. I think in the bread, we have more than 200 different flavors. So yeah, but why are you so thin? 
Me? Because yeah. I... Okay, if you just eat bread, you never take weight, for sure. If you're starting to... One day, I see a, a man is starting to put the bread and put butter and after put I Nutella see, I and after put yeah, marmalade. But wait too a minute. Much. But you're baking with butter. No. This, no. this is our French, French law, we can say. When you produce bread, you just need to use five ingredients. Flour, water, salt, natural yeast or yeast, and patience. But if you start to do viennoiserie, it's different. With viennoiserie, for sure, if you buy a croissant, you have butter inside. Yes. <laughs> it's, not, it's not good. But bread is different than uh, viennoiserie. And this is what we try to, to, to put in the United States, in New York now, is to educate the people with the real bread. Because if you take French bread, for example, a baguette, it's just five ingredients, four ingredients plus patience. It's very important because usually when you go in supermarket, you buy a bread, but inside the bread, they put sugar, they put oil, they put granola, they put eggs, they put what you want. This, it's heavy for the body, for sure. Right. But, you know, you mentioned croissant. I tell people all the time, croissant's not French. It was started by the Turkish. <laughs> you're right. Right? That's <laughs> yes. how it got the crescent. Yes, you're right. right? You're right. So, so, but now there's butter everywhere on these croissants. Yes. But uh, because I think in France, everywhere, you have a small bakery in every small village, and for sure in Paris and in the big city, and every people start to do a beautiful croissant with feuilletage. So we have learning to do this croissant from Turkish, where you say, yeah. but we have improved the recipe to put the batter and to put, because at the, at the beginning it was, a, it was a shape, and now it's a beautiful product. With butter. With butter <laughs> and sugar, <laughs> for sure. Oh, man. Sometimes it's beautiful. After you can go to run. <laughs> And Maison Kaiser's right here. Yes. Right? You've got it right here. What's the most, I have to ask you this because you have so many different things that you do. Is there one signature bread that you do? Yes, I think at the beginning it was a baguette manche. And for New York, we have starting with Epi, Upper East Side, because we have starting in Upper East Side. And why Epi? Because we can share easily the bread. You know, the idea when you eat the bread is to share the bread. So you cut the bread very and easily. And you pull it apart. Yeah. Yes, and you give to every, every guest. This is fantastic. And after we have the croissant. For sure, it's a big sense. But, you know, we produce a lot of sandwich, salad, and dinner, sure. and lunch. So we have, for example, the beurre bourguignon. It's fantastic uh, meal. It's something beautiful and good. And if you have some products that people love in the morning, is almond croissant with the beautiful almond and the powder of almond is fantastic and butter and butter <laughs> <laughs> see we're coming back to the butter you're not doing bagels no we don't do bagels you know why you shouldn't I, yeah. you know everybody tries to do bagels it's a whole different deal yes it's different ways different baking so i think we need to to keep our know-how and try to do something good so if you know something for example french bakery we try to keep this this style of bakery what's the richest item you have Richest? Yeah, the, the, the one that's going to have me make a, take a long nap. Uh, I think, for example, if you take a, our, our eclair or our tart, it's uh, something special, f very good. We try every day to work with the fresh food, fresh vegetables, and try to make every day something fresh. Okay, would you just say one thing for me? Butter. Butter. Okay, that's Sometimes. Okay. <laughs> You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world.
Hey, Prime members, Peter Greenberg here. You can listen to Ion Travel ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, and you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. And before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits, business and swim. You know with your Delta SkyMiles business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.